Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. I'm so happy to be with you today as we visit with Pauline France as she shares with us how we can stay competitive in an ever-growing real estate talent pool. Pauline is the Vice President of Strategic Investments at FIP Realty Services, a commercially focused on buy, sell, and lease of retail and hospitality assets. And she is also the CEO of Neo Habitas, a creative strategy consulting-based company in Miami, Florida. So, Paul Dean, start us off by sharing a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today. Well, I grew up on the Caribbean island of Haiti. And, you know, that, that was, it was quite an adjustment to come to the U.S., which is very, you know, a much larger country and a, a lot more fast paced. But one of my early experiences that I think that helped me become the person I am today and actually adapt to this new environment is when, when I was around 12 years old, my mother decided that being a housewife was just not enough for her. And she went into the same business that my grandmother was in, which was pharmaceutical distribution and having pharmacies in Haiti. And generally, at the age of 12, 13, you're riding your bike and hanging out all the time after school. And I had some moments of those, but my mom insisted that her eldest, myself, and her only daughter would need to have a business and money counting experience. So two, three times a week, I would go with my mother. And I can't remember now how long it took for me to get on the register and actually be part of management, maybe around 13, 14. But that became something that was part of my childhood, believe it or not, which was, you know, in addition to playing in art and ballet and so on and so forth, actually learning to be an entrepreneur and build a business and manage and count money and really focus on a future. And I have to say that a lot of those things that I learned early on still apply to me today. I mean, it's gotten me through the times where you rather do something else than work. And then I remember my mom's voice saying, you know, resignation makes the person must resign to your obligations and responsibilities. And I'll say, all right, I hear you and get up and (laughs) go do what I've got to do. So (laughs) thankful for that. Yeah, you can certainly look back on that with a lot of thankfulness. And it was what a marvelous training ground. I'm sure as a 14, 15 year old child, there were probably other things you prefer to do, but great lessons there. Well, Paul Dean, what do you mean when you say cultural nuance when conducting business is important in a global city? Well, First of all, one of the important natures of a global city to acknowledge is the diversity. And the diversity isn't just in, you know, restaurant offering. It's really usually a, a cultural la- a landscape or a landscape of people that have various different types of backgrounds, languages. When you look at cities like San Francisco, Seattle, L.A., Boston, New York, or where I am here in Miami, 
there are different types of ages, different types of backgrounds, different types of self-identifiers, different types of cultures. And as the years go by, we realize more and more the importance, this kind of codependency that we have cross-culturally, cross-traditionally, and across various other self-identifiers. So what I mean by that is being able to do business outside of what one can call their comfort zone or their familiarity zone, which was something that a style that many people used to do. I mean, when you looked at various types of boards, various types of corporate cultures, when you looked at various types of methodologies to hiring or even customer approach, the voice, the brand, the objective was all around a certain type of perspective, whether it be male or whether it just be American or so on and so forth. Now we're realizing that our clients, our coworkers, our bosses, our employees, I mean, just about anyone around us is uh, is different, look like us. They don't sound like us. And that's a beautiful thing. And in order to really scale and grow and even down to adapting the branding and the voice that the branding puts out, it's got to consider this type of, you know, whether you call it a salad bowl, you know, this Cobb salad or when you want to, or whether you want to call it this goulash, you've got to be able to adapt to all the ingredients and create a beautiful message. That's very interesting. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of there is so much pushback against identity politics and it's all about to just to be and say the right things in the right place at the right time. But it seems to me what you're saying is that businesses are realizing that it isn't just uh, political nuances, that if you want to be successful in business in this climate that we live in these days, that you are going to have to acknowledge that we're all different and respect and, and uphold those differences, which is in some respects, I think, different from what we hear from our pop culture and our mainstream culture these days. So it's refreshing to, to hear that to me. So how do you go about incorporating diversity? I think that, that that's a challenge all, all companies face. I think they realize the importance of it, but I'm not sure that we have learned yet exactly how to incorporate diversity to the degree that we all really need to do. Right. Well, here in America, there are some challenges, and not just in America, I would say in certain parts of the West, when you look at England, France as well, they have a similar issue in that when we hear the word diversity, automatically it's a matter of black and white. And that's not really accurate, especially for us in the real estate world. Real estate means being able to do a business deal with a group out of Kuwait, being able to source clients out of China, being able to restructure a deal with a group out of Finland, having multifamily buyers that are from Brazil. So there is the aspect, the clients and the people outside of the corporate structure that you have to be able to deal with and adjust to. But then also, as I noted, internally, we're seeing these changes as well. And as I said, it's it's beyond race. I mean, today it's even, you know, even down to sexuality and to and I want to add a polarizing diversity isn't. And, and this is why America has had an issue or, or corporate America has had an issue is because when they hear diversity, they see, OK, I've got 
80 types of different people. And I'm just throwing a number out there, right? Okay, I can't change my messaging 80 times. And they're absolutely right. But what they're missing is at the core of everything, regardless, male, female, or other, regardless, tall, short, regardless whether the person is 25 years old or 65 years old or Chinese, Nigerian, British, or Mexican, or American, at the end of the day, humans in general have core values, right? And core values are expecting that the money that is being spent, in addition to speaking real estate language, having a return on the investment, there's also a a return of feeling. There's a return of feeling that this company that you work with or work for is respecting who you are as an individual. Overall, we all have needs. No one, no one in the world, regardless of language or other, wants to feel that they're going through this type of production line of, hey, this is what I've got to offer. Are you going to buy it? Oh, you're not going to buy it. Okay, move aside. Oh, you are going to buy it. Okay, great. We respect you, love you, appreciate you. You're awesome. Give me your money. Thanks for the money. Bye. And then you vanish. No one wants to feel that feeling. Okay, and I feel like a lot of companies are missing that it goes above and beyond sending an email and saying we appreciate you group X. It's really about what does your customer service say? What does your top down management say? Okay, because and it starts internally, because if internally people feel that they're getting the information, they're getting the the knowledge uniformly. They don't feel that this person's getting an advantage of that person, that they have access to growth, they have access to learning. And if within the corporate culture, there is this respect of various different people, that translates into how these people also treat their customers, how they treat the people that they're interacting with from the outside law firm to the outside investor to the outside buyer, consumer, whatever. So to me, it really starts internally. It starts top down. It starts with the messaging of the brand as well. You know, how that brand reflects across the board for various types of people. And that sounds maybe intimidating, but it shouldn't. (laughs) There are easy methods of figuring that out. Like, for example, there's nothing wrong with passing an internal message around and saying, hey, guys, what do you feel about this? What are your thoughts about this move? Do you think our brand reflects the values that we say that we're trying to or put to put out. If you've got just a small group at the head, you know, three, four people, and they're trying to decide while missing the opportunity of hundreds of employees or hundreds of agents under them, then they miss an opportunity to really grow and they stagnate. Well, as a VP of strategic investments, you are, I suppose, intimately involved with establishing the personal and business etiquette within your firm there. So, give us some concrete examples of how you're going about doing this. Well, first, it starts with, again, the company's intention, the company's mission, the value system, right? You have many companies, they list something on their website, but honestly, that generally is not reinforced. Myself at FIP, one of the things that I keep at the forefront and I keep kind of recycling through our team is what is the message? What is the value? What do we want our team to feel? What do we want to project to the public authentically? And what does the public need right now? What, what, what is it? How are we adapting to what was 
for example, you know, the baby boomer target to now even looking at Gen Z and the millennial group. And once you've identified these points, and it's not a hundred point list, these generally are about to run anywhere from three to 10 points. You now start incorporating it in various parts. It could even reflect in your corporate colors, for example. Because the colors that make people feel a certain way, that's adjusted over time as well. And now, now that you've had this, these lists and you've now incorporated it through your HR, through your training, you have these quarterly or however you want to set it up, methods of reminding people of what that is. Now it's putting that out into the forefront, into your social media marketing. We are beyond just putting things on your website. Okay. Now we've people are expecting to get message from you for you to be this expert in your field via ways of of blogs and internet ads and social media banners and even now you know with podcasting. And so you need to have these kind of action verbs and this type of holistic 360 view of the brand and push it out. And that's what we constantly do. It's in our training manuals. It's into it's in our regular in-house talks and seminars. It's something that we sit and speak to, even to outside speakers coming in, like, listen, this is what we stand for. This is the messaging that we have, that we are putting out. And whether we're talking about a new computer system or a new filing system, that's still pushed through. And the more that you kind of keep repeating these things, it becomes like a mantra, right? So that when your team goes out and speaks to people at the outside, they're also repeating this mantra. And that supports the entire public persona of the brand. Mm -hmm. And that's helped us quite a bit. I mean, our list of clients are a huge range of people with various languages, backgrounds, different business styles, mm -hmm. and we're able to adapt to all of them. So, so what are your company values? And, and how does that translate into your... Well, one of the most important things is we didn't want to feel like a mega huge company. And that might sound crazy because that's so many people's goals, right? They want to start a business or a company and they say, okay, we want to look like Coca-Cola. We want to look like Nike. Okay, yeah, that's great. But we are more and more realizing that people love the boutique feel. We're even seeing that in food where, you know, there's this huge growth in the neighborhood coffee shop that's going to serve you coffee and porcelain versus the paper cup. Now, you still have the paper cup buyer. And as we know, that's a multi-billion dollar business and it's got heavy growth, but there's also heavy growth in the ceramic cup. We want to be the ceramic cup. We want to feel no matter how big we get and we are growing and growing every year. When you come in, we're not just the paper cup that we're writing your name on. You're going to sit down. We're going to remember your name. We're going to understand your wants and needs. And you're going to be served our services and the products that we have to offer in something that feels very tangible, that feels very real, that feels very neighborhood-like, if you will. So that's one of the primary values, this personalization and boutique feel. The second very important value is that our style of communication, our follow-up, isn't just, well, you've spoken to this person at this low rung and then this low, this slightly higher person. And then finally, if you have any value, you reach the top. 
any client at any point has access to our managing director, has access to our managing broker. That's very important to us. Even if it's a pop into the meeting, even if it's being CC'd to the email, it's to show that it isn't about the dollar value that you're just bringing to the table. It's that you're a person and of all the options, you've decided to do business with us. So that in itself is a prize. And whether that is 200,000 or whether that's 200 million, you deserve to be acknowledged and to know that at all levels, we know who you are and we know that you're here with us. And even if you decide to go elsewhere, we'll still follow up and say, hey, we're here and hope you found what you were looking for. And if you're ever looking at anything else, we're still here and you can reach us by email or phone at any point that you're ready. So I would say those are the two most important things for us. In terms of values, how does that translate into your mission? Well, our mission is really a business within business because yes, many brokerages have agents and they kind of push a lot of responsibilities onto agents to kind of run their own business. But really our mission is to support a bunch of micro businesses under us, which is all these brokers and agents and also consultants. So our mission essentially is we are a, an entity with many people with a lot of experience. I myself have 17 years of experience. Our managing director has over 25 years of experience. But at the bottom, whether you're a newbie or you're experienced, your business is supported by us. It's how to help your business grow and for us to grow together. So a collaborative environment where people aren't scratching at each other's necks. I personally have worked for many developers and many brokerages, and I could tell you that was one of the things that for me always felt very counterintuitive and counterproductive. One thinks, oh, well, if you pit people against each other, it's going to create a superstar. But it also drains. It also limits scope. Because if you eliminate the opportunity to collaborate, the opportunity to take a breather and, and you eliminate support, then you have people that are constantly chasing lunch. You have this kind of predator prey mentality and that eliminates the ability to actually sit back and say, okay, how do I grow this business? Or you eliminate the opportunity for someone with a great idea that everyone else could benefit from to come in and actually speak to everyone else about it. Because again, predator prey mentality, right? And so that's something that we work hard to eliminate. Now in sales, you're always going to have it to a certain extent. But if we have to sacrifice some of umbrella commission or portion in order to satisfy two people that may be in conflict, but then so be it. But at the end of the day, it's better to have 20 cents of a dollar than zero on a dollar because now you've created this type of chaotic, explosive, angry, vicious environment. Wow. Sounds like a wonderful place to be. As you were talking about this and talking from that boutique perspective, I think that Starbucks really started out trying to be a boutique kind of facility and they have grown into a very impersonal kind of, of coffee place. I mean, you can go into supermarkets and, and there's a Starbucks and you can 
stand in line and get your drink or your pastry or whatever it is. And they've just lost their personalization. And you say that you're growing and uh, continuing to grow. How are you going to keep that boutique fail as the company grows and expands? Well, that's a good question. I mean, right now, we still have many plans that we've put into effect in order to create more office growth. But for right now, we hesitate this type of like, oh, well, we're, we're doing really well. We're making great money. Let's just go out and hire a thousand different agents. I think part of maintaining a boutique feel really, again, comes from a top-down mentality because the moment that the top has now vanished and they are absentee owners or absentee managers, you basically, I mean, it sounds terrible, but you basically leave it up to the wolves. And at the end of the day, the wolves will win because newcomers into our business generally tend to be bunnies. So you've got to, there's a lot to learn. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. And so I think part of keeping the boutique feel is having your team feel that they are still part of a boutique field because then their voice, their tone, their language is going to exude that when speaking to customers. Now, that's the, I guess you could say, training our HR portion. The other aspect of it is using tech, to be quite honest. <laughs> You'd be surprised. A lot of people do not maximize their CRM systems, their customer relation management programs. And customer relationship management programs, CRMs these days, are highly, highly customizable. I mean, you can create these types of programs for a little to no money, kind of a flow where it'll tell you when was the last time, it'll notify you the last time that you spoke to the customer. Like, you know what? You haven't spoken to this person in three months. You should send an email. It'll have notices of follow-ups. It'll have an automatic chain flow where this action now kicks off this action. People aren't using that enough. They're still kind of using Excel. You lose people in Excel. You also lose your team in Excel. Using CRM system, whether you have the budget for an expensive program like Salesforce, Salesforce can cost upwards of six figures or something less expensive like Monday.com. You can just tailor it to your type of business so that you are constantly in contact and keeping your messaging equal. And also you can see kind of what your team is doing at all times because now they're pooling all your their information in there because in order for them to get paid or in order for them to even request for a mass email to be sent out to promote a specific product, all these requests have to go in there. So one would think oh, well, once you add tech, it becomes mechanical and it takes away from the boutique field. But actually, we can leverage technology to help us maintain a boutique feel. And that's something that we spent quite a, a bit of money doing. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. I When I first started podcasting, I attempted to do all of it on Excel. It just it didn't take very long to for that to just be totally overwhelmed and and I had to go to a CRM, and it has made all the difference. And, of course, I, and it's not just one CRM. I, you know, I use a scheduler, a separate and apart from the CRM, and right. and then a program that integrates those two things. So there's a lot of technology involved in that. And of course, even even at that, it's not quite as sophisticated as I would like it to be. But we keep working on it, and it is truly truly a vital part of that. Well. 
Paul Dean, you have a lot to share, a lot of experience, a lot of good insights into, into business. And I know our viewers and listeners can benefit from what you have to offer them. So what, tell us what you have to offer, how we can take advantage of that. Well, putting my vice president of strategic investments on as Miami-based, that WellSoft Florida-based company, we have properties for sale, properties for lease. We represent landlords, we represent brands, and we have a slew of well-experienced and well-trained agents to help with that in the commercial space. Additionally, we have a residential division as well that focuses, and in a completely separate location, that completely focuses on residential. So if anyone out there is looking to collaborate with commercial agents in South Florida, whether you have a client or whether you're, you know, you have a client that's coming into the market and you're looking for someone that you could refer business to or collaborate with, let me know. If you're an end user, you could also let me know. As far as myself as the CEO of NeoHapdis and our consultancy, what we help do is extract maximum value out of a property, out of a brand. So a lot of the things I've said here today, which basically stagnate certain businesses or keep them behind. What Neil Habitus does is basically pulls you into the next, the better position, essentially, because change or even change the font, you probably should. The world is evolving. Your audience is evolving. We are noticing, for example, already the client and the customer don't want to see it. They want to have visuals. So you bring your brand to us for evaluation. You bring your project to us for evaluation. And we take a look at it and basically dissect it and see where we can improve it. We also improve internal processes like CRM, like your back of house management for your website and so on and so forth. So we, my contact information will follow. And also anyone looking to enter the business in the Miami market and you have some questions, we're always looking for new agents and people who are hungry to learn and, and to grow in the commercial real estate space. So let us know. Well, excellent. Baldine, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Very enjoyable conversation. Very informative. Thanks for being thank with Thank you for us. having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.